Well, good morning again to everyone. What a blessing we have to be able to gather regularly as the people of God. And we've had already several special events this month that mark the, just the importance of, of the church family. We've celebrated communion and we had a baby dedication. We had a missions report last week. We're going to have a couple more missions reports later in the month. It's fun to hear what God is doing both here and abroad as we partner with people around the world and as we try to be faithful as a, to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have children that you have not presented to the Lord and the ceremony this morning perhaps stirred you, come and talk to me or Pastor Brian or one of the elders and we'd like to arrange a time where we can sit and talk with you about what it means and arrange a, another similar ceremony. In a similar way, if you have not yet been baptized, come and see me. Let's talk about baptism and let's arrange a time where you can be baptized as a public testimony of the faith that you have in Jesus Christ, a public testimony of what he has done in your heart through the power of his Holy Spirit. If you've not done so already, please turn off your cell phones to silent or to off as we live stream the service. We don't want to have the interruptions that come from that. And let me greet those that are joining us online. Good morning. Thank you for being with us. We're glad that through technology we can be a little closer together. And wherever you are gathered, I pray that you will have your Bibles open and study with us as we go through this sermon together as God leads us. Evangelist Fred Brown was a, a simple preacher in the last half of the 20th century. He used a folksy approach and a folksy manner in his communication. He never wrote any books. He never used media to promote his ministry. And yet he kept a busy schedule of preaching the gospel and leading evangelistic church meetings almost up until the time of his death at age 83. And he liked to make things simple as he talked to people about the impact of the gospel. And when he was asked about what the purpose of the law was in the life of the Christian, he had a, several different simple illustrations he would use. I would like to share one this morning. He likened the law to a dentist's little mirror which the dentist sticks into the patient's mouth. And with that mirror, the dentist can detect any cavities, but he doesn't use that mirror to drill the cavity or to pull teeth. It simply shows where the problem is and where the abnormality is, but it can't provide the solution. The mirror points the need for the solution. And that's what the law does in our lives. The law it was given by God was holy, it's useful, it's true, it's purposeful. It reflects the character and nature of God who gave it to his people Israel as they were set free from bondage in Egypt to show how a redeemed people should live, how a rescued people should live as they move their way to the land of promise. Now, as we know, as we follow the story, they did not always properly use the law or live according to it. And so they experienced God's chastening as a result. But when Jesus came, he had to deal with the true nature of the law and how it would be applied by a people redeemed by his grace. How they would live out the law as intended under the new covenant, what was still valid and what he had come to fulfill. He knew that the law had pointed to him. He made it clear in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 that all of the law was ultimately fulfilled and pointed to him. And yet... We still are a people who live out those principles, those moral principles of the law, and we do it now in the power of God through his Holy Spirit. 
but he had to deal with a culture that was very stuck on legalism, on traditions and customs of how they did things, and they had lost track of the intent of the law. And so we're going to look at that passage or that idea today and next week as we consider the role of the Sabbath in the people of God. So I invite you to stand as we read our passage for today that we're going to consider, Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. And as I read, we'll ask the Lord to give his blessing not only to the reading of the word, but to the understanding thereof. And the holy word of God says, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Let us pray. Father, at the reading of your word, we're mindful now that we need you as our teacher. And so would you calm our hearts and clear our minds to focus on the great truths of your word. Would you banish the distractions that tend to remain in our hearts and minds, that we would know that we are in the presence of your greatness. And as your Holy Spirit works in and among us, Father, may we be led to the Lord Jesus Christ in an ever-deepening manner. As we commit this time into your care, in Jesus' name. Please be seated. When we look at where the events that we will consider today and next week are found in the Gospel of Matthew, we see that the passage we dealt with last week had to deal with understanding the tension between these two great ideas, the divine sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. We saw that Jesus came to give rest from the man-made laws of the scribes and the Pharisees. That he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We're reminded that in Jesus we find rest from sin. In Jesus we find rest from guilt, from rest from judgment, rest from self-righteousness that religion produces. As Matthew organizes his material about the life of Jesus and thinks of his target audience, principally the Jewish people initially, he lays two events in chapter 12 right after this invitation to rest to show the struggle that will be continuing between the way the Jewish leaders interpreted the law and how Jesus fulfilled the law. So we'll look at one example today and we'll look at another example next week about the nature of the rest that Jesus provides, but also about the purpose of the Sabbath. So we're going to take some time this morning to get some background information to understand what, what was happening as, in events as they take place in Matthew chapter 12. Now you notice in your outline that there are several points that you can follow along, and I'm going to tell you up front, we're going to spend a lot of time on point one. A lot of time on point one. But don't worry, we'll spend a lot shorter amount of time on the remaining points. 
So there's no need to look at your watch both now and then. I've told you ahead of time of what to expect. So as you follow along and take notes then, let's look at our first major point, which is the charge. You broke the law. Before getting into the text, let's talk about the law itself. We've already said that the law is good and holy in, in nature. The law was intended to be a blessing to the people of God. But over time, the Jewish leaders, they became so fearful of breaking even one little aspect of the law that they would add layer upon layer of rules and interpretations and regulations to follow it. They were so afraid of breaking the law that they would build another fence around the law and then they would build a fence around that fence and then a fence around that fence and they started to see that those interpretations that they added in their minds had the same authority as the law of God itself. And so what would happen? Well, let's ask the question. The Sabbath said that you're not allowed to carry a load on the Sabbath. But what was considered a load? So if you were wearing your clothes, which is a good thing to do on the Sabbath, you could carry them. But if you got up in the morning and let's say you put a jacket on because you want to go outside and face the elements, you could not take your jacket off during the day because to take it off and put it in your arm was to carry it. And you could not carry a load on the Sabbath. You could not carry a sewing needle or a tool in your pocket on the Sabbath for fear that you might be tempted to perform some type of work. You could not light a fire. You could not put out a fire. If you forgot to start a fire before sundown, you would remain cold for the night. And even today, in some circles among Sabbath-observing Jews, they put their lights on timers so the lights for sure will come on on the Sabbath because they don't want to actually go and snap on the switch or snap it off. You cannot catch a fish. You cannot hunt an animal. You cannot go on a trip. You cannot ride a horse on a Sabbath. Now, all these things were things that they had added to the, the Sabbath laws, not what, which all had been originally prescribed by God. And so Jesus has to deal almost with a caricature of the law as he's dealing with the people of his day. But let's take a little more look at the background of the Sabbath. Our text begins, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and eat. Now, there were rules that they had about how far they could walk on the Sabbath. They were allowed to walk 2,000 cubits. A cubit is about 18 inches, more or less, which means they could walk up to 3,000 feet. Those of us that might count our steps... You couldn't make it on the Sabbath. It was a little over a half a mile. And they're not allowed to prepare and to cook and to do other things on the Sabbath, so everything had to be pre-prepared or something had to be available within the limit of what they could walk on the Sabbath. So we find the, the disciples walking through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And what they were doing was allowed by the law. The farmers were told under the law not to harvest their fields to the edge of the field so that they could leave grain or leave things available for those that would pass by, the poor, uh, and those that were traveling. That was a work of grace. A person could even walk through a field on the Sabbath or any time and take what they held in their hand, but they were not allowed to take a harvesting implement like a sickle or a scythe. So the problem here that the disciples will encounter with 
the Jewish leaders is not that they were involved in theft. It was not stealing under the law to take a bit of food from the edge of a field or to, to fight off hunger. That was how the law made provision, made graceful or gracious provision for the poor, those traveling, for widows, for orphans. You see, remember, the law was intended to lead his people to love God and to love his people. Did not Jesus summarize the law that way, that all the law is wrapped up in loving God and loving people? That was the original intent of the law. But while it was not illegal for them to walk through the fields and take little bits of grain so they could satisfy their hunger, because this event happened on the Sabbath, that's where the problem begins, at least for the Jewish leaders. They were known, Jewish leaders, the people of Israel were known for their strict adherence to the Sabbath. It became a source of national pride, of national identity, along with the practice of circumcision and their dietary laws, keeping the Sabbath was something that set them apart from the surrounding peoples in the Middle East. They wanted to avoid the Sabbath at all costs. And some, and some times in their history, they even went to such extremes that they would not fight or defend themselves on the Sabbath. So around 200 B.C., when the Maccabees were involved in attacking the Jews. They attacked on the Sabbath, but rather than defend themselves, the Jews allowed their men and women and children to be slaughtered. And then in 63 B BC, the Roman general Pompey set up siege and began to attack the city of Jerusalem on a Sabbath day. And because they would not defend themselves on a Sabbath as a matter of honor and national pride, Pompey gained great advantage that eventually led to complete control of the city and the city would be under Roman control for several centuries afterward. For many Jews, they would rather suffer violence and injustice than to violate the Sabbath. So this event takes place on the Sabbath, and with all that is part of the background, we get an understanding of why there was some angst among the Jewish leaders. Now we'll look at the second part of Jesus dealing with the Sabbath next week, where Jesus performs an act of, act of mercy on the Sabbath. But all these things infuriated the religious leaders because they said it was only when the whole nation obeyed the law, when the whole nation repented at the same time, could the Messiah come. And so anything that was happening that would violate their understanding of the law meant that not everyone could repent at the same time. And they were trying to bring about this liberation. But of course, they're trying to bring it about through law. But that's why they didn't understand Jesus. They didn't understand the new righteousness that came with the gospel. They didn't understand the completion of the law and the prophets that Jesus brought. I would think that for some of them, they actually had good intentions. They wanted to protect the Sabbath as they understood it. And originally, they did. In the history of Israel, we find at times where they have a good understanding of the importance of the Sabbath. They understood from Exodus 3 that the Sabbath was instituted by God for the well-being of his people. It was God's day. It was a day to be recognized, a day to be set apart, a day where all ordinary work would cease. And yes, there were laws that warned against carrying things on the Sabbath or carrying out normal work. They were more about, there were more warnings about greed and the misuse of the Sabbath than about what the actual technicalities were and what we could carry and what we could not. It was to warn against a misuse of what had been a gift. And I wonder in our day, do we see 
the idea of rest? Do we see the idea of the Lord's day as a gift from God? Because indeed it is a gift. It's a gift that's given to us to say, hey, one day out of seven, cease and know that I'm God. Let me be the one that provides. Let me show you that I'm trustworthy. Let me show you that I'm your strength. Let me show you that I'm your life, that I'm your provision. That was the intent of the Sabbath, and it's the intent of the Lord's Day today. Not for us to serve that day, for that day to serve us, that we will be more useful in the service of our God. In another context, in another gospel, but certainly what is fitting here, Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man, not man, for the Sabbath. But they were serious about wanting to keep the Sabbath. Their misunderstanding of the Sabbath led them to think we must not break any part of it, forgetting about the grace that the law was intended to show. So they built up elaborate systems of rules and traditions and regulations. And their official commentary on the Sabbath in a book called the Mishnah, they had 39 different categories of work and what could be done and not be done on the Sabbath and got right down into great detail about what could be done and what couldn't be done so that there would not be a violation. And over time, their own interpretations, the things that they had added to the law, the regulations, the principles, the customs, the practices, became as important in their eyes as the original law and Sabbath itself. So at the time of Jesus, there was all kind of debates going on among the rabbis. What type of work was allowed on the Sabbath? Who could work? And then they'd have the question, did God himself work on the Sabbath? Does God keep the Sabbath? And if God doesn't keep the Sabbath, does that make God a lawbreaker? And I'm not kidding. This is actually in their debates that they would have. So, does God keep the law? Or is God a lawbreaker? Does God keep the Sabbath? Or does God break the Sabbath? And so they had rules on how they would determine what you could do on the Sabbath. So on the Sabbath, you were not allowed to carry anything from one domain to another. From one house to another. From one territory to another. That was one of the things you could not do. So, I guess that means on Sunday, you can't bring a dozen eggs to your neighbor. I'm just kidding. That's what they said. Okay. The second thing was, you could not carry anything higher than yourselves. That means you could not carry anything on the Sabbath over your shoulders. You couldn't carry anything that was of a higher statue of yourself. So they would enforce these rules on each other, but then they thought, well, how do we get God to play by our rules? God continues to work on the Sabbath, doesn't he? We should hope so because preservation of the universe requires God working on the Sabbath. If he were to take a nanosecond off, all of creation would explode out of existence because he upholds all things by the word of his power. So how could they arrange it so that their teaching would be seen as good and yet God kept their law, which they thought was his law? So this was one of the ingenious conclusions they came up with. They said, well, you know, God is over all the universe. And there isn't another universe. So it's not possible for God to carry something from one domain to another. So God doesn't violate the law by carrying something from one domain to the other because it's all within his house. Yeah, that's what Jesus thought too. Secondly, they said, well, nothing's bigger than God. So it's not possible for God to carry something higher than himself. So he, can't, he doesn't violate the law or the Sabbath. He keeps the law on the Sabbath, which were actually their rules about the law on the Sabbath. So you see what Jesus is dealing with here, this type of discussion that's going on. 
and why Jesus had to carefully and directly deconstruct their thinking about the law and show the proper use of the law in the lives of those who would follow him. So with all that as kind of a background, now we can get to the false charge of the Pharisees. The false charge of the Pharisees. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. So, so far we've seen that they already had a wrong idea about the Sabbath. They also had a wrong idea about the purpose of the rules on the Sabbath. This text very clearly tells us what is happening. They're out following Jesus. They're walking with him. He is teaching them. He's training them. He's discipling them. And they're walking through a field and they pluck grain to eat. They were hungry. Food was available. It was something easy to grab. And we notice that this, they were in action. They're following Jesus. You know, the life of following Jesus is constant movement of following Jesus. That's what he says. Follow me. He leads us through life. We walk with him through life. And Jesus is providing for them in a way that maybe they didn't expect. Now, we know at times they didn't fully understand how Jesus was going to provide for them. Did he not bring any bread, they'll ask at one point. But here, food is there. They walk through the harvest. They snap off some grain. They eat. This was not a time of harvesting. It was the meaning of a real need. But the text tells us that as they were doing that, the Pharisees saw it. Now, the question I want to ask is how did they see it? Because they were sticklers for the law, so they will only walk so far on the law. How is it that they could observe what Jesus and the disciples were doing on that day? Was there some type of spy network going on? Well, in that case, could that be work on the Sabbath? You know, curious minds want to talk about what's going on behind the scenes. But somehow, they saw what they were doing. So the problem we've seen is not that they were harvesting grain on, on, the, harvest, on, on, the, on the Sabbath. Probably that they weren't walking too far either, because that's not mentioned here. No, in the mind of the Pharisees, the disciples were breaking several laws. And this is how they got there. They said, well, we see them picking heads of grain, which they would see as reaping. They were breaking off the husks of the grain, so that would be seen as threshing. They would have blown away the husks to separate the bad from the good, and that would be seen as winnowing or sifting. This was their accusation. This would not be done on the Sabbath. And all of that was preparation of food, which also was not allowed on the Sabbath. So as far as the Jewish leaders were concerned, this was really a bad situation. Remember, they want everyone to follow their interpretation of the law because when everyone follows their interpretation of the law, that's when they believe there'll be a spiritual breakthrough. So they cry out to Jesus. They can't do that. They're breaking the law. They're violating the Sabbath. And so Jesus has to bring them into some type of correction. They've not violated the law. They've not violated the Sabbath. The only thing they have violated were man-made interpretations of the law and the Sabbath. And as soon as he says that, it's going to get some type of reaction from his listeners. They had already perhaps, some of them had heard that he had given his interpretation of the law in the Sermon on the Mount. And that would begin to show the separation between the path of Jesus and the path of the law and this, of the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees. He's already warned his followers that they will be harassed by the scribes and the Pharisees and persecuted. And so while Jesus may experience some popularity among the masses, 
he doesn't among the Jewish leaders. The scribes and the Pharisees would oppose him from the beginning. And all of that, as we've been listening, perhaps, you know, it's, it's easy for us to look back and say, well, those are some silly interpretations. And they were. And the Mishnah, their commentary on the law, has all kind of silly interpretations about how to force people to keep their laws. But what are some ways we might be doing the same thing today? The Jews were trying to arrange it so that God would somehow fit into their understanding of the law, their understanding of principles, and playing games with God, trying to manipulate God, or manipulating one another with man-made rules that have nothing to do with inspired writ. Our hearts crone in the same way as the hearts of the law of the scribes and the Pharisees. We need to be careful to not go beyond what is written, to not make requirements that are not clearly written in the word, and then sit in judgment over one another because people haven't kept our man-made laws. It's very easy to do, and Jesus is going to correct the Pharisees in this case about the dangers that that poses. That's why he's just said, come to me and find rest. Be set free from the traditions of the law and the scribes and the Pharisees. Be set free from these man-made expectations. Be set free from the burden of the checklist of all these things that I have to do for the scribes, all these things I have to do for the Pharisees. And let the grace of Christ transform your heart, touch you, instruct you, encourage you. And remember we saw last week in 1 John 5, when we have been touched by the grace of God, we want to obey him. It's not burdensome to obey him. Because we're in love with him. He's transformed our hearts. He's given us a new disposition. So all of that is a way of background for our first major point, the charge, you broke the law. Let's get to the second one, the retort. What's the Sabbath for? What's the Sabbath for? So while we've been talking about how they had a conversation among themselves about the nature of work, they're asking the wrong question. The real question is what's the intention of the Sabbath? And first, As we do a little bit of Old Testament background, which we'll do here, it was intended to be a day of rest. According to Exodus 20, verses 8 to 10, the Sabbath was given as a gift from the Lord. It was a gift from God for a day of rest from the daily worries and challenges of life. It was a way of God saying to his people, trust me, I will provide for you. Find that in me you have everything that you need. And this was an ongoing warning that had to go out to the people of God, the people of Israel, over centuries. Centuries after the law had originally been given, the prophet Isaiah has to warn the people of his day about the Sabbath. And so we'll quote from Isaiah 58. It says, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight and a holy day, Delight in holy day and call the Sabbath, I think I repeated myself, the holy day of the Lord honorable. If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Twice in there we're told that the Sabbath would be called a day of delight a holy day, a pleasure of of serving the Lord, of letting the Lord strengthen and encourage and refresh and nourish us. But they didn't receive it anymore as a day of delight. They didn't receive it anymore as a gift. They turned it into an obligation with all the rules that they had added 
No wonder the people were afraid of violating any aspect. No wonder they were weary and heavy laden. That which had been given as a blessing had become a burden. But not only was it a day of rest, of turning away from normal work so as to trust in the Lord, it was to be a day of service. It was a day to be honored and kept holy for the purposes of the Lord. It was to teach us to love God. It was to teach us to love others. It was a day to help the poor, a day to take care of those in need, a day to spend time with God and his people in the instruction of the word and to worship the Lord in the gathering of his people. It was a day of service. It was a day to show good works. It was a day to show mercy and compassion. And so there would be times then on the Sabbath things could be done that would normally not be done. And Jesus will make it clear in the next examples he gives us. But even in our own circumstances, do we not make allowances for under certain circumstances? And the answer is we do. It's generally a good idea to follow the law. But we all recognize that there are times when one set of values will supersede the values of something else, especially if it's to protect the weak and the vulnerable. It's the law in every place and in every land to take the life of someone else. But if it has to happen to protect others, such as the innocent or the vulnerable, it is permitted, or often in the case of self-defense. We might give curfews to our teenage children, and that is a good thing for us to do. It's for their own protection, and in many places, it's also the law. But if a teenager is coming home one night and sees his elderly neighbor stranded by the side of the road, we would see it as a good thing if he were to stop and help his elderly neighbor get to a safe place, even if he violated the curfew. If a parent wakes up in the middle of the night with a very sick child and is worried and breaks the speed limit to get to the hospital to bring their child to urgent care or the emergency room, she would be given some leeway if she's taken her daughter or her son to the hospital. So acts of mercy, acts of service, acts of compassion were allowed on the Sabbath. This was not to give approval for the breaking of the law. It was to admit a hierarchy of values. What was the purpose of the Sabbath? What was the purpose of the law? To love God and to love others. So, they may say the disciples were harvesting, they were reaping, they were winnowing. But all they were really doing was satisfying a very real need, which is they were hungry. So that's the retort. The Sabbath was for rest. The Sabbath was for service. Isaiah said it's not for doing our own pleasure, it's for doing the pleasure of God and what is involved in the service of others. But then we get to the claim, Jesus is greater than the temple. Now what's interesting is Jesus at this point doesn't get involved in some type of argument with them. He doesn't yell at them. He just responds to their claim with scripture. It's a little bit of a subtle rebuke because they were the religious leaders. They should have known the scriptures and they should have understood its interpretation. But he says to them, have you not read? What David did when he was hungry and those with him, how they entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for them to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only the priests. He's addressing this to the scribes and the Pharisees, the self-appointed leaders of the law, of the word. Therefore, this is a subtle rebuke when he says, have you not read? They're going to take it a little bit in an uncomfortable manner when he calls into question perhaps they have not read what they thought that they had read over and over again. So Jesus will refer to a story that's in 1 Samuel 19. And in that context, David, who is the anointed and future king of Israel, 
is fleeing from Saul, who is the current king of Israel, but who has been told that his kingdom will be taken away. And as David is fleeing, he flees to a city called Nob, where he meets a priest. And he says, my men are hungry. Do you have anything to eat? And the priest offers help and support to David and his men and gives him the bread that was in the tabernacle, which is the showbread. The showbread, or the bread of the presence, was comprised of 12 loaves that represented the 12 tribes of Israel. It was a reminder that their livelihood came from the Lord, who was their source of life, their source of sustenance. It was a reminder that they were ever before the Lord, who would be the provider of all of their needs. Now, these loaves would be exchanged each Sabbath day, which, of course, would require the priest to work on the Sabbath. And it was bread that only the priests were allowed to eat. Whatever they did not eat, they were to burn. All of this is listed in Leviticus 24, as you see in the, the screen behind me. But the priests could show mercy on the Sabbath. And in this case, the priest, Ahimelech, saw that David, the anointed king of Israel, though not yet official king of Israel, was on a holy mission. And thus it was an act of mercy and compassion to take care of him and his men in their time of need. And at no time do the scriptures ever condemn David for eating that bread. In fact, Jesus uses it as an example here. The priest would know that the bread was originally intended for him. But he would also know that it ultimately belonged to God. And so he could use that for other godly purposes besides just providing for him and his family. Jesus uses this story, as he has done again and again, about the purpose of the law to show that it was used to serve God and to serve man. It was not man for the law. It was the law for man. There could be exceptions in following the law, which the Pharisees should have known. But because they had built up this elaborate system of questions and answers and situations and details, that they insisted that their own interpretations of the law were equal to the law itself. So Jesus gives one example from Scripture. He'll go on and give another one. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? Remember, they're not supposed to do normal work on the Sabbath. And yet, the priests would do the normal work on the Sabbath. Why? Because they were required by the law to not only offer the sacrifices that were normal, but the sacrifices and offerings of the Sabbath. On the Sabbath, they would still have to drag in the animals. They would still have to pray over them, slaughter them, pour out the blood. On the Sabbath, they did all of these things. They were to exchange the bread of the presence on the Sabbath, which probably required some degree of preparation. This was all physical labor that was done on the Sabbath. And in that sense, then they, in the words of Jesus, profaned the temple. Because work could not normally be done on that day by anyone else. But the priests did the work and they're honored for it by Jesus to show this difference of hierarchy of what should be done and not done according to our responsibilities before God. So after he has twice now taken them back to the word of God and said, you have misunderstood the purpose of the Sabbath. You've misunderstood the work of the Sabbath. You've misunderstood how to apply the law in our days today. He now gets to the climax of the statement where he says, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. So Jesus is going to use what's called a lesser to greater argument. 
He uses David as an example, David to be the lesser, to point to himself, who is the greater, the ultimate son of David. He would use the priest as the lesser, pointing to himself as the ultimate high priest, the greater. If David could do such a thing on the Sabbath and not be condemned, how much more the ultimate son of David, the ultimate king of Israel, could do something like that on the Sabbath. Jesus is the one to whom the Sabbath points. Jesus is, in Jesus is found the ultimate Sabbath rest. If the scriptures never condemned David for eating bread on the Sabbath, Jesus and his disciples cannot be condemned for eating a bit of grain on the Sabbath. He's making an amazing declaration here. Something greater than the temple is here. Now think of the context of the Jewish people of that day. The tabernacle, first the tabernacle in the Old Testament, and then the temple after that represented the presence of God. It was the place where the people met with God. It was the place where they were taught the word of God. It was the place where they offered the sacrifices and the offerings to God. And Jesus says, but something greater is now here in your presence, here with you. The temple, which had been the center of attention, the star attraction, the focus of emotional and religious and societal life for Jews. And now Jesus says something greater is here. He says, I am the true temple. I am now the focal point where men meet with God. I am the meeting place where instruction is given. I am the one where people come to peace with God. He knows that with the coming of the kingdom of heaven, over which he will be the king. And all of the practices that were beforehand will come to an end because they're fulfilled in him. He knows who he is. He's greater than the temple, the true temple. Not only is he greater than the temple, he's greater than David. David took from the priest and had a satisfaction of an immediate hunger. Jesus as the greater temple will satisfy the eternal hunger of his people as the bread of life. The priest would place the showbread to show that God would take care of his people. Jesus came and said, I am the bread of life who continually shows the presence of God and all find life in me. Jesus is the greater everything, the greater king, the greater priest, the greater sacrifice, the greater temple. He is the meeting place between men and God. It drops like a, a grenade, as it were, down the aisle of polite conversation in first century Palestine. I'm greater than the temple. And he moves on and he gives the rebuke and he says, therefore you have condemned wrongly. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. So a third time, Jesus goes to the word of God to rebuke the scribes and the Pharisees for not having a full understanding of the law. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. This comes from Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. And in that context, we're told that compassion and righteousness are to be the marks of God's people, not a compromise with the world. Had you known this, Jesus said, you would not have condemned the guiltless, my disciples. You would have had a true understanding of the law. Because you've missed the purpose, scribes and Pharisees. You've missed the intention. Compassion 
and mercy should mark the people of God, not compulsion to man-made rules. Those who know the intent of the law are to react with mercy and not with judgment. Or the Bible with compassion and not condemnation. That is what the Spirit of God brings to us as he brings new life and dwells within us. And as we apply now the new covenant that has replaced the old. The people of God, moved by the Spirit of God, will move in compassion towards others and not in a, a judgment of condemnation over them. The disciples were not guilty of anything. What they did was allowed by the law. It was allowed on the Sabbath. The only thing that they had violated were the laws of the scribes and the Pharisees. For me personally, I know my own heart. I know that I'm a ten I have the tendency to make laws and to break laws. Oh, if I just do this, 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 and this, God will love me more. Oh, I didn't do this, 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 and this, so God loves me less. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus has fulfilled all righteousness. And when we come to Christ, we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And then, by the power of the Spirit, we live out his commands joyfully as we follow and serve him. And that brings us to the conclusion then that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is the favorite name that Jesus uses for himself. And it has several meanings, and we'll explore them further because they'll start coming up with more frequency now as we move through the Gospel of Matthew. But it's a title of divinity and royalty. He is the Son of Man. He is given a kingdom by God over which he is king. He announces the truths of God. He fulfills the truths of God. As we saw last week, he grants them to those who believe in him so that they have a right to enter the kingdom of heaven. He is the Lord of the Sabbath the master and ruler of the Sabbath. He is God in the flesh and an equal standing with the Father. He is the one to whom the law points. He is the one who bridges the gap between men and God. He is the one in whom and only in whom men find their rest. And he is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now there's much more that he's going to have to say as we move through the Gospel of Matthew as he encounters application of law and its man-made additions and he does away with it with the cross and teaches us how to apply the new standard of the new covenant of the greater righteousness which is found in Christ. But imagine the context with their emphasis on the temple, with their emphasis on their own way of doing things, with their emphasis on insistence that we follow their interpretations. He stands up and says something greater than the temple is here. And I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Surely this would put him at odds with the religious leaders of his day. And it did. And it still does. And that will become more and more apparent as we move through the Gospel of Matthew. They had forgotten the purpose of the Sabbath, which was to be for rest, for fellowship, for doing good to others. The Sabbath is not for man, but man the Sabbath is for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is to be used to serve us so that we can serve God in a greater way. Now, next week, we're going to look at a second example of the Sabbath. We won't go into all the background information. We did that today. 
to help us get an understanding of the context in which Jesus was. But we will look at how Jesus also deals with the Sabbath in another context as he performs an act of compassion and mercy to show what it means to be Lord of the Sabbath. But until we get to that, le that lesson, what are some lessons we can take away from today? Because Jesus offers ultimate rest to all who believe, we will go to him as a way of life and find our true rest in him. As we saw last week, as Jesus is reminding us, stop striving in your own strength. But find your rest in Christ. And he says, follow me. And he is the one who leads. Because all of the word points to Jesus. Jesus has given us a little example here as he's pulled from the law and the prophets to show how he is the fulfillment and how he fulfilled what was happening there. Because it all points to him, we will make knowing the word of God a priority in our life and ministry. You want to know more about Jesus? Read his word. You want to have a deeper relationship with Jesus? Read his word. You want to know what the will of God is for your life? Read his word. That is how he has revealed himself to us. That is how we grow. As we meet God in his word, we ask him to make us merciful and dutiful in our application of his word in our lives. The purpose of the law and the commandments of God are to lead us to love God and to love others. And because Jesus is Lord of everything, we will look to him in everything and serve him in all areas of our lives, including his day, the Lord's day. We use the Lord's day to serve him in ways that are honoring to him. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the challenge for us to understand the purpose of your word, the commandments you have given us to follow. But we thank you that even as you command us to do them, you give us the power to carry them out. But in all of that, you call us to do them in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ, who says, follow me. And so we continue to follow Jesus and forgive us for those times where we turn aside for our own pleasures and purposes. Forgive us for those times where we have misunderstood. Forgive us for those times where we have wrongly used your word that you've given to us. And thank you that your grace is so lavish that as we confess our sins, we find forgiveness and mercy and grace. Father, I pray that as we contemplate what you've given us in this passage, we'll contemplate what it means to serve you, what it means to show mercy and not sacrifice, what it means to consider Jesus as the Lord of the Sabbath and the Lord of our lives. May this week, Father, be a pleasing offering to you as we walk with you in the fellowship of your Holy Spirit and as you guide us to not only obey Jesus but to become more like him. To that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.